Hi there, and welcome back to this week's episode of The Divine Lantern. I'm Alana from the Antiochian Christian Orthodox Youth, and we're so glad that you could tune in today. With the blessing of His Eminence, Metropolitan Basilios, the Antiochian Orthodox Archdiocese presents a podcast to educate, empower, and enrich. We'll begin today's episode with talk one of a new series on prayer by Father Nabil. We'll also hear a reading from our Orthodox Library and answer a question sent in by one of our listeners on the purpose of prayer ropes and how they should be used. Remember, if you'd like one of your questions on the faith answered, send us a voice memo to tdl at antiochian.org.au. Let's begin today's episode and we hope you enjoy it. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. I would like to begin to talk about prayer with the prayer of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly King, Comforter, and Spirit of Truth, you that are in all places and fill all things, the treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come to dwell in us, cleanse us from every stain, and save our souls, O Gracious One. Our topic in general is the importance of prayers in the life of the church, the life of the faithful. The first episode is about prayer and its purpose. My talk will be based mainly on the scriptural references about prayers. Before anything, prayer is hunger for holiness. Prayer is the breath of life and the pulse of the heart. The heart that does not converse with the Lord in prayer wither away. It becomes like a cut-off branch, dry only for fire. That is exactly what Jesus said to his disciples according to John 15, 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Our spiritual journey is a long one. In fact, our whole life is not enough to achieve what we are set to do. As Christian faithful, we must know exactly what is required of us. We must ask ourselves, are we on the right track? Are we progressing every day towards the goal? Or we have not started yet? Maybe we took a few steps and we stopped. In reality, what is required from us is not only to be faithful believers in Christ, but more importantly, to be holy in Him. According to 1 Peter 1.15, and I quote, But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Yes, we are called to this life of holiness without which we cannot see God. According to St. Paul in his letter to the Hebrew 12.4, he said, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which you will not see the Lord. The holiness that St. Paul talks about is not the end of the goal either. We must continue to grow into it in order to become perfect. Jesus said, according to St. Matthew 5.48, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So, 
In order to be perfect, we must, be, we must start by being holy. Praying is to converse with our Heavenly Father, who is hidden, but reveals himself in the love that he has for each one of us. It is God's love which makes it possible for us to approach him and to be in communion with him in spite of our sinfulness. As members of his body, the church, we are called to participate in his glory, to escape from the corruption that is in the world and become, as St. Peter said in his second general epistle, partakers of the divine nature, to Peter 1.4. We all know the things that goes in our inmost selves, however, and how evil gets a foothold and develops in our minds and heart. We also feel our powerlessness. But to retain our power, we must be prayerful. Prayer express our deep interest towards communion with God. It is a form of worship and a means available to us for overcoming the evil that lodges in us. In this sense, prayer is like a special channel through which man seeks God's help. We can cry from the heart, Lord, have mercy. The moment we notice evil stealing into our consciousness, however, some questions confront us and we need to have answers. First of all, we must ask ourselves, do we want to pray? Are we able to pray? According to Samuel Hitch's the Confessor, he said, prayer needs no teacher. It requires diligence, effort, and personal zeal. And then God will be its teacher. The answers to these relevant questions come from different passages in the Gospel. In John 5.15, Jesus said, Without me, you can do nothing. So first of all, we have to turn to Christ. We have to arm ourselves with the sword of the Spirit, with the strengthening Word of God. Then, it is our decision whether we want to use it to defend ourselves against the evil one, to achieve our victory. Do we want to pray? Do we want to ask in order to receive? Do we want to seek in order to find? Do we want to knock in order to be open for us? All of the above can be done positively if we are serious about our faith, our salvation, and therefore serious about prayer. The Lord's exhortation to us according to Luke 21.36, he says, Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength. Prayer requires purposeful effort to the very end, and we have a real reason for speaking of it as a struggle. But we must always remember that we are not alone in our struggle. The Spirit of Truth, the Comforter, is with us, guiding us, and strengthening us. Countless numbers of Christians have already walked the same path as the apostles did. The church has preserved their experiences and offers them to us 
as an aid, as a guide. So we can set out praying with confidence. As we set on such a blessed task, we must explore the form, the way, the place, and the time that we should be praying. Firstly, if we look at the tradition of our Orthodox Church, we know that there are two types of prayers, liturgical and private or individual. And when I say individual or private, I need to understand that I am still praying with the Church, the faithful, the body of Christ. It is in the context of unity that we pray at any given time. Also, there is the intercessory prayer, the unceasing prayer known as the Jesus prayer. Lord, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This prayer is one of the most important prayer in the life of the church. Volumes of books were written about it by various scholars and by the holy fathers of the church. Now, when we talk liturgical prayers, we talk about the work of the Lord being done by the faithful, the people of God. It is also called the corporate prayer, where the faithful meet to pray and to participate in the holy sacraments of the church. The divine liturgy is one of the most frequent services where the people of God gather on Sundays or on any feast day to pray in thanksgiving and to receive holy communion through which they become brothers and sisters in Christ, the children of God and his inheritors. Also, there are other sacraments such as wedding, baptism. There are also non-sacramental collective prayers such as the paraclysis service, great compliment, acatists and others. Let me say a few words about the private prayer. First of all, regularity is the prime condition for private prayer. Specific time of the day should be set aside. Morning and evening are natural times to pray. What words do we use? Every member of the church should have a copy of the church's prayer book. Besides using the prayer book, we can also pray in our own words. As members of the one body of Christ, we pray by ourselves at home. But as I said earlier, we are not in isolation from the other members. We should have a specific corner of our icons where our prayers take place. The icons are permanent testimony and a reminder that God is with us. Emmanuel is in our daily life. The icons in the corner of the room where we pray are a window into the kingdom of God and a bond with its members. Our children should be exposed to regular prayer. The very early years are immensely important for a child's spiritual development within the home. And here I would like to say that every household should have a copy of the new prayer book that was introduced by our own archdiocese, especially for children and the parents as well. It is very, very important to pray and it's very important to be able to understand the prayer, the books being made very palatable for 
young and others. It would be an excellent and important practice for the whole family together in the front of the icon corner to start the day and to end it with prayer. Until next time, may God bless, guide and protect us all. Amen. Thank you, Father, for that insightful talk. We look forward to hearing more on the topic of prayer in the upcoming weeks. And now for the Philokalia. Take your weekly spiritual dose and reflect on the words of our holy Neptic Fathers with this week's Philokalic Nourishment. When evil thoughts become active within us, we should blame ourselves and not ancestral sin. St. Mark the Ascetic The first step in the practice of the virtues is faith in Christ, its consummation, the love of Christ. St. Thalassios the Libyan No one is as good and merciful as the Lord, but even He does not forgive the unrepentant. Many of us feel remorse for our sins, yet we gladly accept their causes. St. Mark the Ascetic On July 9th in the Holy Orthodox Church, we commemorate the Hieromata Pancratios, Bishop of Teomena in Sicily, and disciple of the Holy Apostle Peter. Pancratios, having set himself as foundation, raised upon it a house from the stones of his contest. On the 9th, Pancratios saw the house of the Almighty. This saint was born in Antioch during the time when the Lord Jesus Christ walked as a man on earth. Hearing about the miracles of Christ, the parents of Pancratios desired to see the Lord. Together with Pancratios, they travelled to Jerusalem, where they saw Jesus, heard his words and witnessed his miracles. While there, Pancratios met the Apostle Peter. After the ascension of the Lord, both parents and Pancratios were baptised in Antioch. Later, the Apostles Peter and Paul appointed Pancratios as the Bishop of Teomena in Sicily. There he worked many miracles, destroying the idols, baptised the unbaptised, strengthened the baptised, and governed well the Church of God. A heathen commander, Aquilinus, heard that the entire city of Teomena became Christian and set out with an army to destroy it. Pancratios went with the clergy outside the city, carrying the invincible weapon, the Honourable Cross. When the army approached the city, darkness befell them and the soldiers were overcome with great fear. Confused, the attackers turned against one another and slaughtered each other. In the end, Pancratios was stoned to death by envious and evil heathens and found rest in the Lord. On this day, we also commemorate the martyrs Andrew and Probus. By the intercessions of thy saints, O Christ God, have mercy upon us. Amen. What is the purpose of a prayer rope? Praise him, O sun and moon, praise him, O ye stars and light.
The humble prayer rope has long been a powerful weapon for Orthodox Christians. A prayer rope is a loop of knots, traditionally made of wool, that is used for prayer. The prayer used in conjunction with the prayer rope is the Jesus Prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Usually one Jesus Prayer is recited for each knot. Prostrations can also be made with each prayer or after a certain number of prayers. The prayer rope dates to the 4th century when it was established as an aid for monks who could not read or track consistent numbers or prayers. The use of the prayer rope made it possible for monks to pray without ceasing as St. Paul instructs us in his letter to the Thessalonians, no matter where we are. The prayer rope itself has sometimes been attributed to the father of monasticism, St. Anthony the Great, or in some accounts St. Pacomius who struggled tirelessly to pray the Jesus prayer and would make a knot in a rope each time the monk said the prayer, but the devil would untie the knot each time to throw off the count of prayers. Inspired by a vision of the Theotokos, or in some accounts an angel, the monk was instructed to tie the knots so that they would constantly make the sign of the cross. This is why, till today, prayer ropes are tied using knots, which each contain seven little crosses tied over and over. Vanquished by the power of the cross, the devil could not untie the knots. The prayer rope comes in many forms, from bracelets to ropes of 50, 100, 300 or even 1,000 knots. There are two main ways to pray with the prayer rope. The first is for prayer at any time of the day, by holding the prayer rope in either hand and saying the Jesus prayer while moving from knot to knot with the thumb. If praying at a regular time of prayer, you may hold the prayer rope in your left hand between the thumb and index finger while moving from knot to knot saying the Jesus prayer and simultaneously with the right hand making the sign of the cross and small prostrations. It is recommended to speak to your priest or confession father for guidance on how you should utilize the Jesus prayer and prayer rope as a part of your daily prayer rule. The church father teach that the prayer rope is an important tool in the life of a Christian who pursues continual prayer. They teach that we must use this prayer with pace, focusing on the mind and not the lips, so that we can teach the mind to not be distracted and fly all over the place, and then in a gentle way say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, not thinking about anything except the words. It is important to note, however, that the prayer rope is not to be used for anything else except prayer. 
While the knots are helpful to track the number of prayers being recited, their primary purpose is to help focus the mind. St. John Chrysostom, in his homily about sobriety and prayer, says the following, Brothers, be always occupied with the intellectual prayer and do not move far away from God until you receive God's mercy and pity. Never ask for anything but for his infinite mercy, and this is enough for your salvation. When asking for his mercy, cry aloud in entreaty with humble and contrite heart from morning to night and, if possible, during the whole night, saying unceasingly, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. Those who are zealous for their salvation are invited to the unceasing remembrance of the saving name of Jesus, both laymen and monastics. Many of our spiritual elders, men of prayer, and directors in faith and piety have recommended the use of the prayer rope to laymen and at times have even given them their own prayer ropes as a blessing. Speak to your spiritual father and the next time you feel moved to pray, whether at home, on the train to work, or while going for a walk, remember your prayer rope and let it help you direct your heart and mind towards our Lord. And now a reading from our Orthodox Library. Acquiring the Mind of Christ by Archimandrite Sergius Bowyer Chapter 1. Liturgy as Life Archimandrite Sergius, Feast of the Holy Apostle Mark, April 25, 2015 Liturgy as Life Elder Sophroni said many times that the conditions of the modern world are such that hesychastic life as he himself had known it in the desert, is no longer possible. But the only thing which is left to us now is the liturgy. If we celebrate the liturgy with reverence and attention, we find as much grace and even more that then can be found in the hesychastic life. For this reason, if we keep the liturgy properly, there is hope for a renewal, maybe even for a renaissance of the whole world. This general crisis that we face nowadays, and it may intensify, will force many people to look for a spiritual solution and may lead them back to the church. And if this is already happening with a small number of people, God is able to generalize it. He was very optimistic. As long as we keep the liturgy, he used to say. The liturgy is the heart of the Orthodox Christian experience, the place where one meets the Lord and learns to abide and live with Him. Not only this, it is through the liturgy that one finds and works out one's salvation. In the liturgical life of the Orthodox Church, we find the mind of the Church, which is the mind of Christ. Through regular participation in the cycle of services throughout the year and the Holy Mysteries, we absorb and acquire this mind and make it our own, enabling us to learn how not only to think, but also how to understand the world, God, ourselves and each other. We must never see the liturgy and the liturgical life of the Church as something extra. It is through the grace that we receive at each liturgy that we are enabled to enter eternity and are empowered to escape corruption, sin and death. Because what we are offered and receive is nothing other than the life of God Himself. In our modern American society, many things about the way we live and how we learn are antithetical to Orthodox Christian spirituality. 
What is it that epitomizes the world, if not the frenzy and bitterness of day-to-day -day life? Counter to this, what is it that characterizes orthodox spiritual ethos and experience, if not hezekiah, or stillness? Indeed, the root of healing, of freedom from the passions, and the beginning of the knowledge of God is to be found in the psalmist's words, Be still and know that I am God. It is hezekiah which leads us to the knowledge of God, and concurrently to a knowledge of ourselves. It provides the remedy for the insanity of our modern world. The Church provides the oasis in the liturgical life for her members to be still and know. Hezekiah does not imply an absence or an emptiness. It is to be present with all of our heart, standing before the mystery of ourselves and God with one thought, the Lord our God. Prayer, as listening, is our first step towards hearing God. Hezekiah does not mean by definition that we are silent, but rather watchful, waiting for God expectantly with faith. Indeed, the twofold movement shown to us by the prodigal son in the Gospel of St. Luke reveals the content of real prayer and spiritual life. We must first come back to ourselves before we can return to our Father. Without a return to ourselves, we have no basis on which to open a dialogue with God, for we will be speaking outside of our heart, outside of ourselves. The Fathers say that if we wish to ascend to heaven, we must enter the heart, and there we will find the rungs of the ladder by which we will begin the ascent. The liturgy informs the heart and changes us imperceptibly. St. Maximus the Confessor tells us that just being present at the liturgy ontologically alters us for the better, from a lower to a higher state. St. John of Kronstadt even said, If one was to put all of the world's most precious things on one side of a scale, and the Divine Liturgy on the other, the scales would tip completely in favour of the Divine Liturgy. He qualified this statement by explaining that the Divine Liturgy is truly a heavenly service upon earth, during which God himself, in a particular, immediate and most close manner, is present and dwells with men, being himself the invisible celebrant of the service, offering and being offered. There is nothing upon earth holier, higher, grander, more solemn, more life-giving than the liturgy. When the Lord descended upon Mount Sinai, the Hebrew people were ordered to previously prepare and cleanse themselves. In the divine service we have not a lesser event than God's descent upon Mount Sinai, but a greater one. Here before us is the very face of God the Lawgiver. It is through the liturgy that we learn how to live a spiritual life, for it shows us a pattern of how to take this world and to offer it up in an anaphora, invoking the Holy Spirit on everyone, everything and every situation. This in turn grants the possibility of everything in our personal world of becoming Eucharistic, an encounter with God, a point of contact and not of separation. Our main task as liturgical beings is to take our world and reconnect it to God in thanksgiving, to make it Eucharistic. The first created man, by severing the tie of this world from God, when he began to use the world apart from God for its own sake, became the first official consumer. We, on the other hand, must reverse the fall in our lives by reconnecting this world and our lives back to the source of all, Christ, the life-giver and creator. If the liturgy of the Church can permeate every part of our life, we will no longer be consumers as Adam had become, but rather communicants as Adam once was, 
the world becoming a window and a mirror for us to see the invisible and almighty power of God. The saving works of the God-man Jesus Christ, for example, the Incarnation, the Cross, the Tomb, the Resurrection and the Ascension, have passed into and are now manifested within the sacramental life of the Church. According to St. Leo the Great, this sacramental liturgical worship is the primary revelation and entrance into these saving acts for the world. It is paramount that the utmost care to be taken to preserve these precious and beautiful flowers that have budded forth from the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and find their fullest manifestation within the cycle of services in the Church. It is imperative to understand that he who cares for the liturgy and ministers unto the Lord takes care of the Lord himself. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode and we hope you took away lots of learnings. For all the latest news and updates about our Archdiocese, please visit our website www.antiochian.org.au And just a reminder that if you'd like your question answered throughout the podcast, please shoot it through to tdl at antiochian.org.au We hope you have a blessed week and we'll catch you in the next episode.